Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with The Fall Guy. What are you doing later? Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes! Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Want more Gators Breakdown? Join Gators Breakdown Plus. Starting at $3 a month. Get access to unique episodes, plus a blog, chat room, giveaways, shout-outs, and more. Gators Breakdown Plus is furthering the interaction with fans and listeners like you. Head to GatorsBreakdown.SupportingCast.FM to join Gators Breakdown Plus today. Gators Breakdown. Because there's never a dull moment in Gator Nation. The Gators Breakdown Podcast is ready to go. I am your host, David Waters. You can find me on Twitter at GatorDave underscore SEC. Joining me for this episode around this exciting time is Will Miles. You can find him at his site, readandreaction.com, and on Twitter at WillMilesSEC. Will, man, what a... We'll get into it. What a what an eventful weekend on the recruiting trail for the Gators. Yeah, you know, it's funny. We talked about real early on that Napier seemed to have a uh, a penchant for when he was releasing his his staff, where he would release one every day, and it really kind of didn't feel like you could catch your breath before the next announcement came. And that's what this weekend felt like, right? It was like <laughs> the minute one recruit was there, and you sort of got used to it. And Dave, you probably felt it more than most with the podcast, putting that individually for each recruit. And, uh, you know, you're sitting there like, ah, I got to make another one. Ah, I got to make another one. And not just the graphics, but obviously the podcast going out with it too. So, look, I mean, it's fantastic news when you bring in guys who are who are high-quality players like they did um, like they did this weekend. You know, it's hey, interesting. Will, Will, I mean, Will, before you go, I wouldn't have it any other way, by the way. <laughs> oh, absolutely. Well, this is the first time it's happened where you have been on vacation, Dave. So that's, 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 that's the good news. But uh, it's actually interesting. You think about it. You have Miles Graham, Ernest Graham's kid, who, who commits the 2024 class, yep. which was sort of a cherry on top. And he's actually the one I'm most impressed with. With. he's ranked in, in the top 50 and you know he's he's the highest ranked guy they got on there so uh um, you know obviously a lot of good goings on you got the the heavener center that was rolled out this weekend a lot of different things going on as we head into the season opener against utah which man we're only a couple weeks away at this point yeah um one of their reporters and i i don't have it pulled up right now but if you missed it one of their reporters i, I retweeted it before we came live here saying they have turned up the heat in the indoor practice facility they're simulating sound they're trying to get used as used to as they can the atmosphere that they're going to face in gainesville i'm like you know you can't replicate that you're not replicating what you're going to see september 3rd at night in the swamp you can turn up the heat all you want it's not the heat <laughs> 
It's that you can't stop sweating because it's like 300% humidity out there and it doesn't get cold at night. And you're like, the sun's gone. Why isn't it cold? And, you know, when you're not from Florida, you don't get it that when the sun goes down, things don't cool off. And so, uh, yeah, it's going to be an experience for those guys from Utah. I'm actually, it's going to be really interesting to see sort of maybe halfway through the second quarter and halfway through the fourth quarter, how many of them start getting cramps, how many of them have just sort of run out of gas by the time you get to the end. And, you know, I know we're going to talk a little bit about the running backs at some point tonight, but, you know, normally you sit there and say, hey, it's the quarterback who plays better that's going to win the game and that sort of stuff. But an opening game when you've got the advantage of the Florida Heat, a team that's not accustomed to it, and, you know, Napier just wanting to run it down people's throats, we'll see whether they're able to out-tough the Utes, especially considering that you look at the polls and Utah's top 10 team coming in. Florida not even ranked. Yep. So Utah numbers there for the Gators. Yeah. And, Utah uh, number seven in the see. AP poll that came out today. Whew. Yeah, um, their highest well, ranking hey, ever. A, their highest ranking that, ever. That is that is a good opening week win. So let's hope we beat them by three touchdowns week one, and then they <laughs> run the table. There you go. It was Josh Furlong, by the way. So he said Utah has been practicing in the indoor facility lately with the heat way up, the noise way up, and different things to make it as humid as possible to somewhat acclimate to the swamp. So even even they put the somewhat in there. They got that disclaimer in there because. Uh, and Gator fans are letting them know, hey, you know, you, that's not gonna, you know, this, you can't, you can't simulate what you go see there. So, oh, as you said, we're ready for it. Yeah. So, a couple of weeks away before we get there, of course, we will recap the big week, the big weekend in recruiting. Uh, but also, the Gators had a scrimmage on Saturday, had to be moved from the stadium to the indoor facility. So, uh, they did miss out on that weather move through. So, they did have to move that to the indoor facility. Uh, but we'll take a look at all that. Billy Napier spoke to the media today, give us a, a rundown of the scrimmage, and also had some interesting remarks on recruiting. Of course, you can't get into specifics, but uh, really stamping home uh, where the Gators are at in recruiting. Before we get there, hit that like button, hit that subscribe button. If you're joining us live on YouTube right now, good bit of you are, close to 200 of you. Hit that like button. If you want to subscribe, you get those notifications when Gators Breakdown goes live. Leave some of those comments out there. All your support helps Gators Breakdown grow. Check us out at the home of Gators Breakdown, news4jacks.com slash Gators Breakdown. And on Gators Breakdown Plus right now, just a few more days, and I'll give that pair of tickets away uh, to Florida versus Utah. If you're a member, a new member, you get to have a chance for those tickets. Current members eligible as well. So big things coming up this week on Gators Breakdown Plus. And, um, yeah, there we go. I, I, th- I think I thought I had one more little housekeeping thing, Will, but I kind of forgot. Oh, yeah, uh, top 31 podcast right now, Will, on Apple Podcast Charts. So look at us charting. Yeah, well, you're, you're building, man. Like by the, time the, <laughs> by the time the season's over, I can only imagine what will happen to the podcast if, uh, if Napier comes out and wins that first game by two or three touchdowns. Oh, like, yeah, uh, yeah. You know, I will say that it, it it is legal to bet on on college football up here in Pennsylvania, and uh, I may have a little bit riding on Anthony Richardson winning the Heisman Trophy, <laughs> and not because I necessarily think he's going to win the Heisman, but because if he goes out and torches Utah, those odds are going to change real quick. Yeah, and, and uh, get in early, get it, get it while you can. That's for sure. All right, here we go. Let's get started with looking back at the scrimmage on Saturday, what Billy Napier had to say, what wide receiver Trent Woodmore had to say, and Trey Dean as well. Will and I will come back on the other side to uh, you know our reaction to what Billy Napier 
uh, has to say. You know, I thought both sides of the ball, we've taken steps forward. The film is much cleaner maybe than spring practice. I think fundamentally we're a lot uh, further along. Um, I do think the communication is improving. Uh, we still have quite a few plays where maybe we were, you know, nine or ten out of eleven from an execution standpoint. And, you know, I think it, it affects the play, obviously. Um, but overall, good energy. Um, you know, I thought, I thought the intangibles were there. Um, but overall, a lot to learn. And um, I think the big thing is we got we had a very physical scrimmage, but we were able to stay healthy and, and make progress. I thought the defense did a good job of limiting explosive plays. Um, and I think that we didn't score touchdowns in the red area. That was an objective that we didn't meet on offense. And I think those the defense obviously contributes to that. Uh, but overall, uh, we did turn it over a few times. Um, so the quarterback efficiency wasn't what we want it to be. Um, now, does that mean, you know, I mean, I think there are a lot of things contribute to that when you're playing with a mixture of lineups and different positions, different players. So, uh, but it can be better. We threw it to the defense in a couple situations where it happens, right? Third and long, two minute, you know, nothing alarming here. Okay, nobody's, uh, you know, our quarterback, you know, we, we get it. You know, it's going to happen. But, you know, the good thing is our defense is creating some of that, right? I mean, we're playing well. We're affecting the quarterback. We're playing well in the back end. You know, part of our formula here is we've got to protect and affect, right? We want to protect our quarterback and affect the other quarterback. And you do that in lots of different ways, right? You push the pocket. You tip balls. You hit the quarterback. You sack the quarterback. Um, the element of disguise, right? I mean, there's so much that goes into that, but it's a big part of playing winning football uh, in creating those passing downs, creating those advantage opportunities for the defense. And I think the interceptions from the other day happened in those situations. I don't think it was our best performance. Uh, I think, you know, obviously there's mistakes made, but that's why we go out there and scrimmage twice before we play an actual game, you know. Um, so there was some bright spots, there was some stuff we didn't do so well, but we'll get it corrected. And like I said, we scrimmaged for a reason so that we're ready to go week one. And both sides of the ball did great. You know, we got a great offense, so we know our defense got to come out there and play against our great offense, especially Coach Napier going to do different things, dial it up, put us in different predicaments to make plays. But the offense did well as well. Who got the interceptions? Ha, 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 ha. Yeah, I had one A, but shoot, I, without my D-line, I ain't, ain't going to get no interceptions. Uh, how it, was, it was more physical. You've been here a lot. In what way was it? Did you notice? The oh, you know, it's not only f more physical. You know, just attention to detail. Because, like, you know, it's coming down to every game, you know, it's going to be coming down to the detail, take the right steps. You know, like, great coaching going to equal great results. And we got a great, we got a real good coach. How much do you guys work on turnovers in camp? Do you guys have a lot of turnover circuits or drills? Or how would you say how much of an emphasis has it been? So well, far? we don't look at turnovers. We look at as takeaways. So we're going to go get the ball, take it away. How much did you work on it? What, what would you say? The well, every every time we get a chance, no matter if it's in a uh, walkthrough setting or just like uh, working on ball drills, you know, working on taking the ball away, you know, not only just interceptions, but, you know, punching the ball out as well. Well, like what Trey D had to say right there, it's, it's not turnovers, it's takeaways. That, 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 that is the mindset of this defense. And, look, we went back and detailed Patrick Tony and his approach to coaching the defense and the little things that they work on to help try and create turnovers. It's how you tackle. It's attacking the ball. 
uh, making sure you know you're in the right position for for interceptions and fumble recoveries and all that. There there is a there is a method to the madness, and uh, sometimes turnovers can be luck. But you know you can. Uh, what, what what's the adage will for for luck um, when opportunity meets preparation? Well, you know you got to prepare at, at a certain point to get those turnovers there. So it does sound like turnovers are a big emphasis. You can hear Trey Dean talk about it, but also in play on the field, will of Billy Napier pretty much admitted, hey, you know turnovers were a problem. It was uh, you know the quarterbacks uh, turning the ball over, not alarming uh, right now. First scrimmage, still early in in, in fall camp. Most of the time, defense is ahead of the offense, but uh, turnovers galore for the defense, Will. Or, my bad, takeaway galore. <laughs> well, I mean, you know, this is one of those things that you never know during during fall camp is, is it because the offense isn't very good or is it because the defense is stepping up? Now, the good news is, is it sounds like the defense is getting lined up, so we're already, um, <laughs> you know, we're already beyond where we were maybe at the end of 2020, certainly. Uh, but look, I mean, you look at last year, they averaged 1.4 interceptions on offense per game, 0.7 interceptions on defense, 1.6 turnovers overall on offense to 1.0 on defense. Look, you're not going to win a ton of games when you lose the turnover battle by by more than half a turnover on a per-game basis. And that's just the reality, right? You have 13 interceptions from Emory Jones, five from Anthony Richardson. So you, only, you had 25 touchdowns from your quarterbacks and 18 picks. I can get the job done. And so – you know, it's it's interesting that they talk about some of the interceptions in in the scrimmage. Um, you know, th- those are the things they're going to have to iron out because you know they're you don't necessarily need to have a quarterback throw for forty five touchdowns, but you need a guy who's going to throw for twenty seven touchdowns and maybe four or five six picks. And if you get that kind of ratio, then you're going to have a very successful offense. You're winning eight games with the talent at Florida if you got a guy who puts up twenty five touchdowns and five interceptions. But if Richardson puts up 22 touchdowns and 17 picks, well, you're going to be sort of right back where you were last year. So taking care of the ball is going to be an emphasis, area of emphasis. And again, 1.6 turnovers a game, not great. But 1.0 turnovers per game from the defense, definitely not great. Mm-hmm. You're, you know, If they can get that up to two, even if the offense doesn't improve at all, you've now improved your chances of winning pretty significantly. So, yeah, it's great that they're that they're emphasizing this. And to be honest, we know they need to emphasize it because there's going to come a time in the year where they're going to get a win that they shouldn't have or where they're going to lose a game that they shouldn't have because of the turnover battle and because of the attention to detail. And the fact that they're paying attention to that sort of stuff, the fact that they're putting an emphasis on that, hopefully means that Florida will have an edge when those sorts of things come up. So, you know, the game against Missouri last year, the game against Kentucky where they get the unsportsmanlike conduct penalty after the interception of Will mm-hmm. Levis that then turns into the blocked field goal that goes the other direction. Like you don't really th- you think of the blocked field goal costing them the game. You don't think of the progression that got them to having to attempt a long field goal which then gets blocked and returned the other direction. And so, you know, it's not just the blocked field goal. It's not just the special teams. It's the attention to detail, that entire two, three, four-minute stretch that winds up costing Florida that game, beyond the fact of all the other things that sort of went went goofy with all of the false starts and that sort of stuff as well. But, uh, yeah, so, I mean, look, we've been talking about discipline all offseason. We've been talking about attention to detail all offseason. Clearly that message has gotten to the players. Um, which is great. It, it's great that that message has gotten through. But again, it's not going to matter if they have eight false starts to get Utah. <laughs> like, nobody's going to go, yeah, well, we didn't do that in the scrimmage. Like, it's not going to matter. So make your mistakes now, like Whittemore said. And then hopefully by the time the ball gets kicked off, those mistakes have gotten out of your system and they're ready to go. Yeah, well, it was a year ago. You know, we were getting in these scrimmages and these fall scrimmages. And I actually had some trusted eyes that, 
you know, we're, sh- we're, we're sharing everything to me uh, from the scrimmage. And we heard over and over again, Emory Jones was struggling and, and, and Anthony Richardson pushing uh, for, for some play in time. And that's kind of how last season played out. I don't want to go too far in scrimmage one say, okay, well, here comes the turnovers. And that's what we're going to see because whatever we saw last year in the scrimmage pretty much ended up being that way. Uh, no, you know, Billy Napier did not seem too worried about what he saw, at least, you know, towards the media. And he even had, you know, some lightheartedness there kind of with the, with the turnovers and basically saying there are certain situations that they, you know, if, if turnovers are going to happen, they're going to happen in, in those situations. So credit the defense for putting them in those situations and then taking advantage of it. Well, if we do go back to the scrimmage, everything that I was hearing and told about that was Richardson had two interceptions. One was tipped. So that's about the extent of the description there. Uh, of course, tip passes can be the quarterback's fault too of trying to fit a pass in where he necessarily shouldn't. We don't we don't really know, uh, but that's just the uh, the crux of it there. Uh, but overall, camp Richardson's looking really really good. Uh, maybe not the best time in the best time in the scrimmage, but did have a, a really really uh, long run in, in the scrimmage. And with the blessing of uh, the Gator Collective, they have started a message board. There's some insider. News and notes there. Uh, Hollywood Bob Redman, everybody knows him. He's been sharing these practice reports and also user Gaines Vegas with a lot of insight in practice and the scrimmage as well. So with their blessing, definitely sharing these notes from them. Go join the Gator Collective message board if you want uh, this inside info uh, that's going out there right now. But uh, Richardson and Miller said they both stayed in the pocket uh, a lot during the scrimmage. And with AR, you know, that's the side of the game, of course, you want to see him work on. But he did have this long run. Uh, they blew it dead. Could have maybe trucked the defender at the end of it. Would have been a score. Uh, so we know the capability Anthony Richardson has with his legs. That was on display in the scrimmage. Uh, but you can imagine, they don't want him doing that too much uh, in, in the scrimmage. And Will, maybe, maybe, not too much uh, during the season uh, as well. And Something I wanted to go back and look at, Will, you had a feature on Anthony Richardson last week uh, of his rank in the SEC. And also, I just wanted to go back. Um, they didn't really do that this much this past offseason, uh, but you know, how would these quarterbacks be used? And uh, if the, how much is Richardson going to run? How much is he going to pass? And all we really have to go on and go back and look at, as Billy Napier for a head coach, uh, is Levi Lewis. So went back, looked at his stats a bit. And dating back to 2019, 2020, and 2021, uh, and total, you know, through his time there, Louisiana was scoring 34.2 points per game in those three seasons, about 68.8 plays per game. Levi Lewis averaged 27 passes a game, 5.6 rushes a game, and was responsible for 48% of the offense in his career. So, Will, something I, I looked at and looking at this chart here, if you're on YouTube, probably makes a lot more sense to you. You can look at it as well. I best explain it to you for the audio version. But points per game went down from 2019 to 2021. But Levi Lewis's percentage of the offense went up. So, of course, there's different ways to look at this and what is the correlation there. You'd like to think, you know, the more the quarterback is involved in the offense – you want the points per game to go up, uh, but not the case here. But we're still winning a whole lot of ball games. But about about per game, will you're you're looking at twenty seven passes a game, six rushes a game. What do we expect for AR in that? I think there's a lot more capability, arm talent there with Anthony Richardson. Does he average 
30 passes a game and maybe a couple more rushes where he is a bigger percentage of this offense. I absolutely think that. But if we go back and look at Levi Lewis here at Louisiana under Billy Napier, responsible for about 48% of the offense, 27 passes a game, 5.6 rushes a game. Well, I'm probably adding 10 plays to that for the offense and for Anthony Richardson. Yeah, I mean, maybe. I, I think it, it's interesting here. I, I think one thing that you do is the first thing is how effective was Lewis throwing the ball, right? And in 2019, his QB rating was 152. In 2020, it was 140. In 2021, it was 138. So he actually got worse as they started to put more on his plate. Um, his completion percentage, 64, then 60, and then 60 his last two years. Um, you know, And he averaged 7.8 yards per attempt while he was there. Richardson outclassed all of those numbers just last year in the limited time that he actually threw the ball. And then when you look on the rushing side of the ball, Lewis is an okay runner. Mm -hmm. He's not an explosive runner. So 3.8 yards per attempt over the five years he was there at Louisiana. You know, he had 69 rushes for 195 yards in 2019 at Louisiana. <laughs> Anthony Richardson had had 401 yards on 51 <laughs> carries last year average 7.9 yards per rush so the threat is really different and so i think what you're going to see is in big games like games against utah they're going to fully unleash that sort of threat right like there's no reason to hold back you're trying to win that game you're going to need richardson's legs and more than anything you need the threat of Richardson's legs to open up everything else. And that's what you can see when you look at what Levi Lewis was doing is he ran the ball enough to keep the defense honest that that was an option, but no one was really afraid of him running the ball. Anthony Richardson's about as close to Michael Vick as I've seen when it comes to being able to run and accelerate to full speed. And that's sort of a sacrilegious comparison, but that's kind of what you think when you see him, like you see him sort of running and you're like, Oh, he's going to get tackled. And then all of a sudden he splits it. And you're like, whoa. And, and he, 80 yards later, he's in the end zone. Those sorts of things are available. I don't think you're going to want to use that against Vanderbilt. I don't think you're going to want to use that against you know, Eastern Washington. But I think against teams like Utah and against teams like Kentucky, you're going to see it. I don't think they're going to run him straight into the line of scrimmage like Mullen intended to do yep. just to get two yards to get a first down. Like That's going to be Montrell Johnson, right? And if they do do something like that, it'll be a fake where you know they fake Richardson and then he pitches it outside or something like that. So I think you're probably looking more in the 10 to 12 rush range for Anthony Richardson for, for the year. I don't think you're going to see many more throws. I, I think they're, the Mullen offense was predicated on those little swing passes to get the ball outside. Yeah. I think you're going to see less of that from Napier because the swing passes are sort of the attempt to get it out to a receiver and then let them cut up field. Napier's offense doesn't do that, right? Or at least it doesn't do that extensively. What it does is it it has the zone blocking scheme, and the goal there is to get the running back a crease and let the running back go through that hole similarly to the way that the wide receivers on the outside might in Mullen's offense where you're just trying to get them in space, allowing them to put their foot in the ground and go. And Napier's offense is more geared towards allowing the running back to do that. So, um, I mean, I think the – anybody expecting this to be like 20 rushes a game from Anthony Richardson, no, no. maybe against Georgia. Like if it's necessary to win that game against Georgia, you might see it. But other than that, you know, I would be surprised if he runs the ball more than two or three times against teams where Florida clearly thinks they have an advantage. And especially if they if they pull ahead early of say the Vanderbilts and the Missouris and the South Carolinas of the world, I don't think they're going to put him in any danger because the reality is is that there's a lot 
it's not just that I think Richardson is that much better than Jack Miller. It's that Jack Miller is a different quarterback than Anthony Richardson in terms of ability and the way you're going to run the offense. And that threat to run the ball with the quarterback goes away the minute you bring a guy like Jack Miller in there. And so there's a real, there's going to be a learning curve if, if Richardson has to leave and you just don't want to put him in peril. Yep. So that's the, the, the thing there, uh, Anthony Richardson, how would he be used? Good look right there. Um, and like I said, so far, so good in, in, in fall camp there for Anthony Richardson. Jack Miller played well in the scrimmage as well. Gaines Vegas says right there on the Gator Collective message board, he threw an interception to end the night. Uh, but he's been uh, looking better than what we saw uh, in the spring game the last time we saw him uh, under the lights. And will a lot of this Anthony Richardson usage, well, it might depend on just what those running backs do. And those running backs have had a really good fall camp so far, Will. As we said, you know, kind of going to your point, how much is Anthony Richardson going to run? Will he get to, you know, some games 10? Of course, down the distance is going to become a factor as well. But in the scrimmage, the three guys that – well, actually all of them. I throw ETN in there as well. Uh, the true freshman, he's been having a good fall camp as well, busting a lot of long runs. But – According to the notes here, Naquan Wright broke two long touchdowns at 35-plus yards, um, showing great patience. And patience in this scheme, very, very necessary for those running backs, as you said, Will, dating to that, uh, you know, going back and looking at that zone run scheme. Montreal Johnson, long run of about 40-plus yards and a touchdown. Uh, in this one, a lot of detail here. Lorenzo Lingard had a run that was memorable, threw about six people off of his back during the run. Was in a pile, got out of the pile. Somebody jumped on him. He threw him off, then spun another one off, stiffed arm another, ran over another for a 45-plus yard gain. So uh, they said he ran out of room on the sideline, finally stepped out. So there you go. And as I said, ETN also hitting some longer runs as well. So, Will, a couple things there for me, of course. I can't tell you how long for, I think, almost a whole Dan Mullen tenure. Uh, where, where's my explosive runs? Where's my explosive runs? Where's my explosive runs? Week in and week out. All right, good sign here that the Gators are doing it. Uh, also, going to the scrimmage, we should probably put the disclaimer. Yes, it's Florida versus Florida. We don't know if it's one verse, one offense versus a bunch of second. And you heard Billy Napier say it. You know, sometimes the lineups aren't really where you expect them to be uh, in, in the scrimmage either. But uh, just take it. Take these notes for, for, for what they're worth. This is what happened in the scrimmage. We don't know the situation. We don't know all the details here. But, Will, music to my ears hearing some running backs and some long runs. And as we talk about quarterback usage and how much does Anthony Richardson run, he may not have to. You want that ability there. I think early in games you want to show it. Early in those big games, like you say, versus Utah and Kentucky, I think you want the full arsenal out there. You want the full playbook. You want those defenses worrying about everything. But as those games go on, as the year goes on, if I can see these running backs get all these 45 and 35-yard-plus carries, give them to me. Yeah, I mean, look, I, it's, as, it's as much music to my ears as it is yours, especially since we know Napier wants to run the ball. Now, we do need to remember that Florida's run defense was absolutely putrid last year. And it's not as though the defense stopped the offense in the spring game at all. Um, and, and so this is one of those, you know, we, we joked a couple years ago, I, don't, I think it was 2017, when uh, everybody was like, oh, the offensive line can't block Florida's defense. The defense is going to be nasty this year. And then it turned out the offensive line was just terrible. And, uh, you know, every, 
everything fell apart and Florida couldn't run the ball. And it looked like it looked like they weren't blocking anybody when they played Michigan in that opener. Um, now I don't think that's the case here, right? And I think the defense is going to be better than last year. But you don't go from being a terrible, terrible run defense to all of a sudden being like top ten in the in the country overnight especially when there are many as many questions at defensive tackle as we've seen. You've got Christopher Thomas coming back. Obviously, that's another body, but the fact that they have to bring him back says something about the depth there on the defensive line. And so it's great that they're breaking these big runs, but that is something I think we need to keep in mind that uh, – you know that, that that was an area that Florida struggled last year. Anybody who watched that LSU game knows what we're talking about when it comes to when it comes to stopping the run. And quite honestly, that's the place where I think everybody sort of looks at and says that's going to be where Patrick Tony earns his money. That the defensive backfield probably is going to be okay. The question is going to be can Florida force enough third and nines, third and elevens, those sorts of things to allow the defensive backs to get some of those turnovers. And you know. We'll see. I mean, I think it's great news that these guys are breaking explosive runs. I think this scheme is conducive to more explosive runs than maybe Mullen's scheme was. Uh, at the same time, um, you know, it's it's even if it's ones versus ones, the ones on defense last year for Florida weren't very good against the run. So we'll see. I mean, that's the, that's the best part about opening up with a team like Utah is we're going to get the answers pretty quick. Yeah, absolutely there. So uh, go into the passing game. Definitely missing Ricky Pearsall. Go back to last Friday. He's going to be listed day-to-day. Did miss the, the, the scrimmage, of course. But Xavier Henderson, um, they, Bob Redmond says, uh, may have opened some eyes with his play in the short passing game. So that would be a welcome uh, change from uh, what we've seen from Xavier Henderson, more of a downfield threat so much uh, or so far in his Gator career. Uh, but Florida definitely needs some of those guys who can take the short passes, go get, go get a first down, maybe even bust a longer play out there. Ricky Persall is probably that top guy there so far in in spring camp. But uh, but uh, going back to the scrimmage, Xavier Henderson uh, doing some nice things there. Uh, Dejon Reynolds played a lot of snaps in the slot with Pearsall out, Whittemore as well. Uh, but Dante Xander's at tight end. Willie might be the number one tight end. I know we were coming out of spring, and man, what uh, what a story it would be. I know I kind of highlighted it a little bit last week, but they going back to spring, Xander's moving over from defensive line to play tight end. Coming out of spring, it was like, okay, maybe it's just a feel-good story. You know, I don't know if he's going to be the number one tight end, but lo and behold, I really think he might be uh, at least 1A and 1B with Zip out there, and then we'll see where uh, Elksness and um, the true freshman, Arliss Boardingham, turning early on in camp, uh, keeps getting mentioned, uh, a mismatch out there. Of course, a lot to learn as a true freshman, but maybe certain situations you can get him out there early. So maybe more playmaking ability at this tight end position than we originally gave it credit for. But, uh, Will, I think you know, going back to the scrimmage and probably could tell so far they missed Ricky Pearsall need to get him back as quick as possible. Yeah, I mean, we've known that for a while, right? That receiver was a place where depth was an issue. So, you know, you never want to see anybody get injured. You never want to see somebody who's brought in as a transfer who's pretty high profile get injured. But but Florida brought him in as a transfer because they really needed the depth at that spot. So having him being in that spot, having him – be out is is critical to what they're going to do on offense and they need him to get back as far as Xander's I mean it's interesting like it's not just that he moved from defensive line to tight end he entered the transfer portal right I mean mm. the, the guy <laughs> like they had to convince him to come back and then they also had to convince him 
to to come back, but also then to switch positions, and then he's excelled in the new position. That, that's a, that's a really cool story. So at some point, he and his family have to reach out. We need to write a book about that. But uh, you know, because I mean, look, if he goes out there and puts up like a season where he catches 35, 40 balls, I mean, how how, how like that's just the thing that everybody dreams of when they're sitting on the bench, right? Is that all I need is an opportunity. All I need is an opportunity. New coaching staff comes in, gets the opportunity, takes advantage of it. That's pretty cool. Um, look, if they're relying on boarding him for anything other than games against Vanderbilt and Eastern Washington, we're probably in trouble. Um, and I don't say that because I think boarding Ham's a bad player or anything like that. I say that because like you mentioned, there are other guys in front of him in the depth chart. So it either means that there are some injuries going on or it means that, you know, very limited packages because it's not necessarily the the it's not necessarily the the routes or or the passing game where where he'll have have a ton to learn. It's the blocking, right? It's becoming uh-huh. a real blocking tight end in the SEC. And the last thing you want is Anthony Richardson getting hit in the back because the tight end misses a block that you brought in because you needed to have that guy in there. So and, um, and what have we uh, seen? For, and what have we seen from this offense dating back to Louisiana? You know, tight ends need to be you know, blocking in and, and passing. You need to be able to do both. Well, and, and you think about the thing that Xanders brings to the brings to the offense is, and you could see this in the spring game, is it was timing, right? Is that he and Richardson had really good timing. It's not like Xanders was, there was the one where he went downfield, it was a nice throw and he was able to bring it down the middle. But for the most part, it was those little things where the tight end sort of slid across the formation mm-hmm. and it was just a numbers game, but he had to have his head turned at the right spot at the right time and the quarterback had to deliver it right on right on stride so that he could keep running and that's that's when the guys were able to go downfield um in fact i even highlighted in the spring game there was a there was a play where zipper and and miller didn't have their timing quite right and zipper didn't turn his head quick enough and miller didn't get the ball out quick enough and it got zipper hit in the legs you know maybe yep. two three yards downfield and so those are the things that you're not necessarily going to pick up if you're a true freshman. And again, I think if you're relying on true freshmen anywhere, you're probably in trouble. The only time I wouldn't say that is if it's a guy like Percy Harvin, right? <laughs> That's the kind of guy you can rely on as a true freshman. So, hey, if Boardingham comes out and can put up that kind of that kind of production, then uh, I'll be happy to rely on him. But I think for the most part, we expect true freshmen to come in, contribute as a depth piece, contribute when um, giving guys a blow against teams that are inferior and then sort of getting out of the way when you play the LSUs and the Georgias and the Alabamas of the world because you need guys who've been there for a long time to be able to step up when those games come around. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. All right, up front along the offensive line, Ethan White did not play in the scrimmage. Nothing major there, missed a, just a couple of days. Uh, but, Will, we know the starting five, Garage, White, Kingsley, Osiris Torrance, Michael Tarquin. Michael Tarquin seems to be really cemented there at, at, at the right tackle spot so far. Uh, and building some depth as well. And Billy Napier ha- ha- has spoke to that, and he says they feel pretty good about eight guys there. Now they have. So throw in Austin Barber, who has had to fill in a little bit. When Richard Garage was down, they did a little bit of shuffling there. Uh, Josh Braun, of course, you throw his name. We know he was going to be an important piece of this offensive line. Uh, Richie Leonard as well, making way uh, so far in early in spring camp. So um, 
Richie Leonard has been in for Ethan White since Ethan White has uh, been dealing with an injury or so. So hopefully, you know, we, we know uh, the production last year of this run game went down a bit when Ethan White went down. Hopefully he's back, ready to go, cement this starting five, Get because Garage has missed some time now. White has missed some time now. You want to get those starting five kind of gelled together because we know a physical front is coming when Utah comes to town in just a couple of weeks. So you want to get those five as many reps together uh, as you can when Utah comes to town. Well, I mean, that's absolutely true. At the same time, I can't remember the last time Florida had six guys on the offensive line they trusted, <laughs> let alone eight. So, you know, I mean, I remember we're sitting there and they brought in, I think it was Tarquin they brought in for Gene DeLance there a couple of years ago against LSU in the fog game. And it wasn't any better, right? It was, it was like, I know people, like, and everybody was screaming for DeLance's head. Everybody who looked at it realized, look, this, this isn't great. It needs to get better. But then when they shuffled around and took him out, the guys they brought in didn't perform any better. Last year, Ethan White goes down. Um, when he goes down, the running game suffers. Again, just having a guy who can come in and sort of keep the status quo until your starters can come back is a really valuable thing, particularly in the SEC. Look, I mean, a guy's going to get rolled up on and sprain an ankle or sprain a knee and be out for a couple of weeks, and you're going to need somebody who can step in and at least hold serve. Now, you know, don't want your left tackle or your right tackle to go down, uh, but you need someone who can step in. And, you know, last year and two years ago, Florida didn't have that level of trust and didn't have guys who could do it. So, so here, Napier talking about, yeah, we really are trying to figure out who our ninth and 10th offensive linemen are is is a great sign to hear him saying that because last year we were like who's fifth and sixth <laughs> and, and so so progress is being made when it comes to when it comes to the offensive line are they going to be the best line in the sec i don't know we'll see i mean i think they have the ability to be based on what we saw last year in terms of florida's ability to run the ball especially early in the year but again, it comes down to just about everything with this Florida team, which is there are only a couple of places where they have real depth. And so the injury luck and injury bug is going to be responsible for a lot of whether they struggle or whether they're able to excel at different parts of the season. Uh, let's move to the other side of the ball, Will, in the secondary. And really, we've spoken enough on Devin Moore coming in as a true freshman, making headway there, uh, getting even more reps as well because Jason Marshall dealing with a minor injury, nothing major there, but Better to be safe than sorry there. So you have Jordan Young, who had a terrific spring game, a guy that I think we're all looking forward to see if he can replicate what we saw uh, in, in the spring game there. So Young and Moore, guys we haven't seen a whole lot of from, of course, in, in a Gator uniform, uh, making their presence felt. Avery Helm, of course, starting or fighting for that uh, cornerback number two spot as well. Him or Devin Moore, uh, probably that, that's the competition right now. Uh, Avery Helm brings a little bit more experience, of course, and hearing that he's just he's really showing out uh, so far in fall camp as well. Not a lot of deep passes getting getting completed on these guys' will, and of course that always goes back to all right. Well, what does Florida bring into receiver? We know in separation probably be an issue anyway. I'm going to lean towards this. Might be at I'm going to lean slightly to I like where Florida's at at defensive back, so that's. Probably hurting hurting it a bit anyway, uh, but you go to safety and nickel a bit as well, and they they've done some shuffling there 
uh, Will, I've heard where Travis Johnson will actually go back and play some, you know, some more safety instead of nickel. Trey Dean will actually come up and play a nickel a bit too. I and mean, we all know uh, him playing that role just a couple years ago uh, under, under, under the previous defense. It does seem like they're shuffling uh, the back end a bit, creating some versatility on the back end there. Travis Johnson, I've uh, heard his name a couple times, uh, creating some turnovers in camp, uh, but. Johnson, Dean, Torrance, that's going to be your guys in that rotation there. No surprise uh, either, but Kamari Wilson finally um, – my bad, Kamari Wilcoxon, safety, coming back, finally healthy. He's, he's starting to uh, do some nice things as well. Um, Kamari Wilson, another young guy, throw him in there with Devin Moore. Uh, of course, highly recruited, comes in in spring, now in fall camp. Uh, so the – Pretty much will dating back to spring, once you hear Jordan Young and once you hear those true freshmen, the names we expected to hear are the names we're hearing on the back end. Yeah, well, I mean, look, I mean, I think Florida's defense was really good on the back end last year. I think they were like top, they're 18th in yards per pass attempt against. So, you know, granted they lose Kyrie Elam, but they lost Kyrie Elam for a little bit last year. And even when Elam was out there, he was injured, which meant that, you know, that it wasn't necessarily the same Kyrie Elam all year long last year. Um, you know, look, Jason Marshall, I think all of us think has the potential to essentially be as good as Kyrie Elam was last year, certainly. And you know, two years ago, then we, you've got a lockdown corner. Then the question is, what can you do with the other guys? And the thing I like to hear is that they're taking Travez Johnson and they're taking Trey Dean and they're, and they're putting them in positions that allow them to use the skills that they have. I mean, it's not too long ago that Trey Dean was playing corner, right? So to mm-hmm. have him playing sort of deep cover safety doesn't make a whole lot of sense if you can bring him in the nickel and use some of those skills that he's got as a corner up there close to the line of scrimmage. But I think one of the things you're going to see is that they're going to use players based on matchups, right? That you're going to move guys in. If somebody's got a really good, somebody who's maybe a really quick but not real physical uh, slot receiver, well, you're going to guard him differently than if they've got a guy who's sort of going to be more of a tight end and sort of box people out when he's playing in the slot receiver position. And, and Florida's going to have interchangeable parts that they can move around and do that sort of stuff. And that that really li- aligns with what Patrick Tony wants to do, which is – Never allow the quarterback to know where the pressure is coming from. There you go. And so you read my mind. I was like, it, it, it allows you to disguise a good bit. Absolutely, it allows. I think Napier said today during his press conference that their goal is to is to make their what do he say something along the lines of like make keep your quarterback comfortable and make their quarterback uncomfortable yep. or something like that. that's yeah. not exactly what he said but that was the gist of it right and and that you do that through disguise and the only way you can do that is if your players know where to go. And if they're executing properly. So when you hear him talk about nine or 10 guys running the play correctly, that's what he's talking about. He's talking about, you know, that there are still times where the guys don't necessarily know exactly what they're supposed to do. And so, you know, nine guys do their job, two don't. And all of a sudden it's an easy completion or it's, or it's, you know, something opens up or those sorts of things. You're still going to have those sort of mental mistakes uh, from time to time out on the field, even during the season. But, uh, hopefully considerably less. And I think you're going to see a lot less of that in the secondary just because of the way that Tony and Napier are going to use those guys. Uh, we'll go, go Ventro Miller and Mario Bernie are still the regular starters are inside linebacker. Um, but the young guys playing well, they're seeing the field. Wingo, Scooby, Duan Black, Shamar James, especially Shamar James, uh, rising pretty quick, of course. And it should be no surprise, a true linebacker, a highly – Recruited true linebacker. We keep saying and looking at this 
linebacker room for Florida and lacking true linebackers, well, not there. <laughs> and it's kind of proven out to be, you know, he's got those instincts. He knows how to play linebacker. He can come in and make uh, headway pretty fast uh, right there. Let's go. Uh, we'll keep. We'll just continue front seven, Will, so we can get to the recruiting side as well. Going to the scrimmage against Vegas, the very first thing he said was, Britton Cox opened up the scrimmage with a sack and a big tackle for loss on the first two plays. That's the type of that's the type of play we're looking for from the former five star uh, transfer from Georgia, trying to put it all together for the for, for this season. Had those sacks, had the pressures of quarterback last year. Now can he put it all together? Be a better uh, player in run support. Be a better all around pass rusher, defensive end, stop the run, all that, all that stuff coming along. But not just him. Now, Jervon Dexter had a huge tackle for loss in the first series as well. Princely Yumin Milan, or Yumin Mielin, several good plays in the scrimmage was said. Justice Boone in the backfield a lot. Keep hearing those same names, Will, along the defensive front. And I know up in the middle, we keep questioning it. No, no need to harp on that. But it does seem like we based Princely and Boone and... Um, yeah, Princely, Boone, Cox as you know a big potential group. Tyreek Sapp as well. Uh, throw him in there. there. There's the potential. Well, starting to hear their names a, a good bit of living in the backfield and a good against a, a good offensive line. I don't want to. I don't want to try and get too far ahead of ourselves, Will, but with, with, with these guys. But I, I identified them as potential playmakers, and so far, and I know it's fall camp, and we're going to hear all kinds of good things. At least those guys, you know, we are hearing from practicing and practice out of doing some good things. Yeah, I think there's a couple things there. One is it's easy to forget, but Britton Cox was injured last year yep. during during camp. And so, uh, you know, he wouldn't use that as an excuse, and I don't think we should either. But it's not probably a coincidence that maybe about halfway through last year, he started to look much more like the player we thought he could be, um, especially when you go and look at that Florida State game. He was just living in the backfield there. Um, they will. Know, and part they, of that is because he was starting to get healthy, right? Yep. And, and before you go on, is if before you move on to another player, Bob says – has been a true leader, maybe the best guy on the field most of the fall. Plays with a bit of anger, really hungry this season. Yeah, well, it's time to get paid, right? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> you, you put up 12 sacks in the SEC, you're going to get paid. Like somebody's going to bring, like you will be drafted and and it's time, right? It's time for him to show that that's what's going on. He's he's out there on Twitter telling telling Georgie he's yeah. ready to come eat. So, you know, it, he's not he's not let on confidence, that's for sure. And I, and I think we're going to see an opera like Tony is going to put him in situations where he has an opportunity to succeed. And so it's up to him. If he doesn't succeed, then it's because of him. And if he does succeed, then some of it's because of the coaching staff, but some of it's because when you put a guy in a position to succeed with that kind of athletic ability, and if he's able to stay healthy, then, uh, then good things happen. Right. I think the other guy I want to comment on is Shamar James. You know, it's interesting. The last guy to start at linebacker as a freshman, I think it's David Reese. I think the the other David Reese. Mm-hmm. I mean, he was starting in that. Wasn't he a true freshman that 2017 so, year yeah. when he was like the only the only leader in the locker room? And when you think about Reese, he's probably the last guy to play linebacker for Florida who actually had linebacker instincts. Like Miller, Miller a little bit, I think, but yeah. you know, Miller, Ventrell Miller doesn't. He doesn't strike me as the same kind of instinctual linebacker as David Reese was. So if Shamar James has those sorts of instincts. He's got more physical skills than David Reese did. And so, you know, that's that is a position where Florida for years has struggled to have a guy 
at linebacker with the instincts, who knows what to do, who can read a play and get out to where he needs to get to. Now, hopefully Derek Wingo is one of those guys who's going to fit that bill as well. But you think about um, you think about James stepping up and being able to step in. He's a guy who might be able to get early playing time just because, you just again, Amari Bernie and and the other guys who are there at linebacker have, have shown that from an instinctual standpoint, there are times that they struggle. If you got a guy with the instincts and the – um, and the physical ability, then that's probably somebody who's going to get quite a bit of snaps and quite a few snaps early. I'll be really interested to see how often James plays in that game against Utah because, you know, if he's a big part of the plan, uh, it could be a good thing, right? Because they say, hey, this guy's excelling. Could also be a bad thing because it means that, that you're really, really thin at linebacker. But uh, that is a place where I can, re- there's a history of Florida bringing guys in and having them succeed at least late in their freshman year. You know, David Reese did it. But then also you think back, Brandon Spikes, right, came in and was a big contributor his true freshman year um, when he came in, especially when uh, when I can't remember who the middle – was it Siler? who was a middle linebacker who got who got hurt. Somebody got hurt who was playing middle linebacker, uh, and, uh, and Spikes had to come in that freshman year. So uh, there is a history of guys being able to come in at Florida and contribute who weren't just flashing the pans and weren't just there because there wasn't anybody else to take over but were major, major contributors to the – To the team. All right. And we'll just, before we go into recruiting, Tyreek Sab, I did mention his name, but not just because of the position he played in spring game and all that success he had there. Is filling in at defensive tackle a bit too, um, you know, to give Florida some more depth there. You're looking at Dexter, Sap, and Jalen Lee are the three names Bob uh, throws out there uh, in, in what he's hearing. So good stuff there. Uh, Of course, if Florida's going to try and build some depth. Uh, Jalen Lee was probably one name we were looking at. Desmond Watson as well, but still got to get that weight under control. Still got to be able to be on the field. Uh, I think Florida's going to try and you know, use th- th- their best. You know, you're not going to get in, you know, tip top game shape if you're not already close to there right now. So you probably be situational football for Desmond Watson coming up. Definitely has a place. Start some games, go in there in short yardage situations, goal line situations. You can still find a way to get him in there, but don't expect a whole lot of snaps there. But it does look like they're trying to cross-train Sap a little bit, uh, especially in passing down situations, of course. You, you definitely expect it there. Uh, but then Jalen Lee being the other guy as far as the middle of that defensive line. Yeah, I mean, look, it's a place we're all worried about, but it does look like they're starting to get a few more options there. Um, this is one of those where I'm really happy that the opening game is in the Florida Swamp because, <laughs> because I think that Utah's offensive line is going to be just as tired as Florida's defensive line. And so, you know, you, you'll probably be able to get away with rotating in some guys who maybe aren't getting an enormous amount of push up front. To start with, you're going to get an opportunity to try some of these guys and allow them to have, um, you know, an opportunity to show what they can do when the, when the lights really come on. I think, you know, Watson is going to be a huge part of what they do this year. And so getting that push up front, you know, we've seen the plays where Dexter gets triple teamed against Tennessee and those Mm -hmm. sorts of things. And it's just hard. You can't do anything if you're the guy who's occupying a triple team. Your teammates have to win. And so that's going to be the thing is is if Cox can be as big a beast as he's been described in camp, if Dexter can occupy two or even three guys, then you're going to have a whole host of other guys who are going to be able to step up because they're going to have one-on-one or even one-on-zero battles. And to be honest, that's a big part of what Tony's defense is going to try to do, right? Is if you constantly rely on your guys to beat double teams or even win one-on-one battles, there are going to be times where the offense wins. And Tony's real job or his real philosophy is, well, let's scheme some of those wins our way too. 
and then let's win some of the one-on-one battles. And then, hey, if we lower the overall number of plays that the offense can win because we've schemed some wins and because we've won some one-on-one battles, then great. If you think about Grantham's defense last year, particularly in like high-leverage situations, there just wasn't anything that he was able to do to get a guy running free at a quarterback where they were able to take advantage of it or – um, you know, he was asking his guys to win one-on-one battles, and they just couldn't always do it. And so a combination of those two is really, I think, going to be the way that Florida's going to be able to succeed. And let's be honest, if they if they suffer an injury or two, it's going to be rough. But if they're able to stay healthy, I think they might be able to patch enough together, especially with the way the back end of the defense is set up to, to be pretty good this year. Yeah, well, there's early downs, man. I, I really think, you know, going through the conversation we're just having and, and hearing you talk and then also pairing up with Billy Napier and kind of what happened in the scrimmage, you know, putting the defense in position to make plays, to create those turnovers, I mean, that's going to come from early down success. And I think, you know, Florida's defense is basically set up best for that. You're going to have to have success with first and second down and, and make some teams pass because I like what Florida has there. You get uh, you get a team in third and five and longer. I, I like what this defense brings to the table on the back end, up front with the options they have there. Uh, so imperative that this, these defensive tackles play really good in these early down situations. These linebackers are ready to f- fill their gaps and get down and dirty. Uh, you know, first and second down going to be really important for this Gator defense coming up and trying to help create some of those turnovers uh, that we are talking about there. So, uh, well, before we transition, Napier said, you know, this is a big week for the Gators on the practice field. Practice ten through fifteen will be very competitive. That's when the depth chart start, kind of starts getting filled out. Everybody kind of starts separating themselves for these next. 10 through 15 practices. The team's moving out of the hotel, back in their normal housing, so more responsibility on the guys to you know, work out, get, get all the sleep, wake up on time, make sure, you're, you're, you make sure you are where you're supposed to be, and basically a 10-day window, Will, to get ready, game ready, and prep for Utah. So that's where the Gators are right now. After scrimmage one, I believe another scrimmage either this Saturday or Sunday. Uh, I can't remember. I think it's Saturday, uh, but uh, we'll, we'll see. Definitely another uh, another scrimmage. Scrimmage two uh, will be this coming up weekend for the Gators. So let's go back to this past weekend. Just talked about the scrimmage, but also before we sign off here, let's talk about the big recruiting weekend one more time uh, for the Gators, and we'll start it with, with Billy Napier. Billy Napier was asked about it. Of course, he can't go into details, can't talk about players, uh, but had some uh, very, very strong thoughts on recruiting right now for the Gators. We've hired really good people. We're thankful for the administration giving us the resources to create the infrastructure that we do have. We talk about that early on. We're going to plan our work. Uh, We're going to work our plan. We're going to be diligent. We're going to be consistent. We're learning more about our product. I think we're getting more comfortable, you know, with our processes in-house. And I think recruiting uh, the intangibles that you challenge your players to have, I think the same things can be said of your staff. So I think what you're seeing here is that the Gators aren't going away on the recruiting trail, right? I mean, we're going to follow through. Uh, we're going to be diligent, uh, but I am excited uh, and humbled uh, that, you know, the caliber of player, but more importantly, the caliber of person and family that some of these young people come from, that they have confidence, um, you know, in our plan uh, for their son. I think we'll improve as we go, right? This is certainly a sign, you know, that, you know, we're, we're gaining some traction here. 
Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Absolutely, Will, man. Last month and a half on fire for the Gators, especially this past weekend. And look, he he, he said it, and Will, it's basically some things that we have said. I think maybe early on in the process, maybe caught him off guard a little bit, how important NIL was going to be. Uh, going back maybe to even the transfer portal just a bit, but um, it may be pressing for commits and maybe not the sunglass emoji before you get the commit in-house and all, all that kind of stuff that went along early in this process. Uh, I know very polarizing topic when in April and May and early parts of June uh, were coming around and we were wondering where these commits and when the commits would start rolling in and then some other – some of your targets commit to Miami and some of the targets commit to Alabama and to Georgia and then the floodgates open for the Gators in the last month and a half or so. And I do think it was a learning process. There's a lot to learn from coming from Louisiana, coming to Florida and dealing with NIL and dealing with transfer portal. And I think it caught them by surprise a little bit, but we'll wait to wait to pivot, wait to, to, to adjust, wait to adapt to the world of recruiting right now. And you know, it, 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 the start may be keeping it away from – you know, this top five, six, seven finish. Uh, but I will give credit where credit is due and, and, and a heck of a bounce back. Uh, we'll see where it all finishes. But on the hills of a very exciting weekend for the Gators, keep improving that talent just a bit. But uh, it's a it's a fun time right now. Yeah, I mean, it's awesome, right? I mean, Mullen, Mullen's best recruiting class was 90.75, I think was his overall player rating. And Napier right now is at 91.5, has an opportunity to move it up. I mean, if he, if he if he's able to get commitments from Kermani McLean, Dijon Johnson, Jordan Hall, Tamarian Parker, and Dequavius Sori, those are just five I sort of picked who've been rumored to potentially come to Florida. Now you're ending at 92.3 which is getting towards where Ohio State has been a few years in the not-too-distant past and that sort of thing. Um, so 91.5 would be somewhere between 6th and 8th historically. Um, usually that overall ranking is, when you get to that point, it's sort of impacted by um, the number of five stars you get. Now, one thing I will say is that if you look historically, 1st through 6th, all of those have averaged more than two five-star recruits. And then you get to seventh, and it goes to 0.81 and 0.5. So really, you're probably – it looks like McLean may be the only five-star that comes in in this class. If that's true, you're probably looking at seventh, eighth, or ninth overall, which is a significant jump up from the 17th that he was at last year. Meets a lot of the metrics that Bill Sykes and, and myself and some other people have laid out about the bump class. Misses on a few. Right, misses on some of the five star and the really elite level talent, which I think is the one thing that you look at and say is still a concern. There's nobody in the top 60. Um, and those are the guys, especially like the top 30, um, those are the guys who are just can't, no doubt, going to go into the NFL. Um, and so when you're evaluating, say, Florida's class versus Miami's class, the overall ranking, so Miami's at 92.1. Florida's at 91.5, but when you look at where Miami sits, a guy like Malagoa, offensive tackle, nationally ranked sixth, 
almost a lock to end up in the NFL and be a high, high level starter for multiple years. But even then, Jaden Wade and Jaden Rashado, who are ranked 43rd and 49th overall, you're talking probably somewhere 35, 36, 38% chance of getting to the NFL. Florida doesn't have any of those guys right now. Kelby Collins is the guy who's the highest ranked at 70th. So as they bring in some more of those top-tier guys who are can't-miss guys, that is going to add to sort of everything that's going on. There aren't a lot of those guys left on the board, so Napier's going to have to hit on the guys like McLean, on the guys like Dijon Johnson. And then this is just a little bit different way. This is It's really interesting because this is one of those where Florida doesn't have any of those real can't-miss guys, at least not right now in this class, but they have an enormous middle class. <laughs> so from 70th to like 221, they got 11 guys. And so that middle class is really strong, and, and obviously they added to it this weekend with the addition of Collins, Norman, and James. Yeah, especially oh, – yeah, there you go. Right, right up there. You know, right up up front for the Gators. Will, I mean, just a couple of storylines. I, I think. You know, I want to get your thoughts on because I, I went over them in the episodes uh, when these guys committed, and especially being the last one, Cameron James, kind of reviewing everything. Uh, but we know Alabama wanted Kelby Collins. Florida gets him. We know Georgia wanted Cameron Jones. Florida gets him. Will Norman, the IMG storyline. You know, there, there's that storyline right there. Uh, of course, that has really turned for Napier. So you know, we keep looking at rungs and we keep looking at pegs and why this is different you know and you need more battles won versus Alabama you need more battles won versus Georgia you needed to get into IMG and get those guys a lot of those things are related by the way so you get IMG kids you're getting them from Florida or you're getting them from Alabama <laughs> you're getting them from Georgia uh, so you know there were there there were things as we said you know ultimately may not be this top five class but there is plenty to point to where progress and where you can be happy, at least where things are trending moving forward. And we'll go on one more to your point there. Uh, Cooper Patagna, I hope I'm saying his name right, from 24-7. This was 22 hours ago, so it, it probably has changed maybe a bit with a, a commit or two today, but I'm not really sure. He said some quick math, but as of today, a little over 80%, 198 of the 247 are verbally committed. 80% of the prospects Basically, top 250 players are committed. So, as you said, you know, not many out there. But anyway, Florida plays a big role into this. 73 of them are committed to SEC schools. <laughs> and ACC is second with 29 commits, Big 12 with 27, Big 10 with 25. I mean, we know, we talk about this is why recruiting is so important because you go beat Alabama, you go beat Georgia for prospects, they're coming to Florida. Uh, but just, you know, that's the importance of beating them because they're getting good players regardless. You've got to go get the good players regardless. Yeah, well, it's interesting that you'd say that, right? Because I was looking at the teams that had, have had the biggest jump over the last 15 days because I did a recruiting article August 1st, right? And then I'm sitting here on August 15th looking at it going, all right, how have things changed? And Florida's only moved like two spots overall when it comes to average player rating. And you look at like a team like LSU, they added Shelton Sampson, Kylan Jackson, and Ricky Collins, who are ranked 33rd, 167th, and 177th here in August. So they've actually bumped their 24-7 recruiting yeah. ranking up over 92. Texas gets Cedric Baxter and Darian Guillette, um, you know, ranked 48th and 149th. Baxter hurts because he's from Orlando, right? Then you got Oklahoma, who brings in Jacoby Johnson and Col Colton Vasek, who are 87th and 153rd. So 
basically Oklahoma, Texas, and LSU who were already slightly ahead of Florida, and they were sort of the teams that Florida was going to pass in the overall rankings. Well, they all got better too. So Florida's creeping up on Clemson. They're pretty close now. Clemson's at 91.7. Florida's at 91.5. They're going to have to hit that 92 threshold to get in front of teams like potentially LSU, Texas, Miami, USC, and Oklahoma. And the, the LSU one is the one I'd really pay attention to because – you know, and and look, ninety two point two versus ninety two point zero. I'm not going to worry too much about that. But the reality is, is that when you're first or second in the SEC in recruiting overall, you have a much higher winning percentage than third, fourth, fifth, sixth, seventh. It's just there is a drop off. And so, from a progress perspective, getting in front of LSU in my mind becomes a really big deal. Now, LSU's ranked fifth right now overall in the country on uh, on average player rating. Um, and and so that's something that that Florida is going to have to pay attention to, right? I mean, Florida is going. Florida needs to get up in that up in that area. Now, I think they have a shot to do it. I think you know one of the things that you think about is LSU just had a five star guy commit. We think Florida has a five star still to come, and so if they can reel in the guys that they're looking at, it's going to give them an opportunity to maybe make that jump. And like you said, I mean, beyond just the fact that they're making a jump specifically right now, is the fact that they're making a jump from last year. And one of the things that really was frustrating about the Mullen era is his transition class was actually pretty good. In fact, his transition class was better than Billy Napier's transition class, on paper at least. But then there was no change in 2019, in 2020, in 2021. And that's why he's not here anymore, So, among other things. And so Napier has now taken a significant talent jump from 2022 to 2023. The question is going to be, can he take that next step from 2023 to 2024? And that, again, I think is where we should be encouraged because, yes, Miles Graham is a legacy. Yes, he's a guy who you know should be a Gator. But how many times have we said this guy should be a Gator and then he hasn't turned into <laughs> yeah. a Gator for the last decade? So you've now got a guy who's a top 50 player, so ranked in that top 60 that I was just talking about that Florida doesn't have anybody in the 2023 class. You've already now cemented one of those guys in that top tier, somebody who you say this guy's going to have a – 30 40 50 percent shot at making it to the nfl versus like a 10 15 20 percent shot for guys when you get down into the the 200s and 300s overall so you're already starting the class with with a top tier caliber player in that 2024 class obviously you have to continue that but you talked about sort of lessons learned slow starts how do um you know how do the like what have they learned as NIL has sort of taken hold with the different collectives and things like that. The fact that Graham has already committed, that they got somebody to commit early, that they have a top tier guy in the program already. And now they can go down their board and sort of fill out their linebacker board, knowing they already have a guy in there who's going to be, who's going to be one of their future cornerstones. That's a big deal. And the way the teams like Georgia and Alabama recruit, right? You're, we're going to look up in, three, four months, and Napier will probably have six, seven, eight guys in this class, maybe. And the question is going to be, if four of them are in the top 60, then we know he's already taken that leap for 2024. So there's some things we can be looking for in that next class, which sounds ridiculous because this one hasn't been <laughs> yet. But, there, but that is the question, right? Hey, I if, did, if I did raise that question jokingly to the, the Gators Breakdown Plus discourse. By the time we get to early signing day, national signing day, Will Napier have more top 50 in 2024 than he will in 2023? Will he have more five stars in 2024 than we have in the 2023 class? Because, I mean, and that was before Graham committed, and we all kind of knew trending Florida. And look, that was a good feeling, too. 
going into a, a big commitment knowing he's probably going to pick Florida. I mean, that's just the 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 feeling around recruiting has changed in the last month and a half. And and as we keep saying, there are different things to point to because of it. Yeah, well, I mean, look, we all have PTSD when it comes to recruiting <laughs> because we've we've seen multiple times where the Florida hat is on the table and the recruit has not picked the Florida hat. How, how many Florida Alabama's battle? How many Florida Alabama battles have there been in the last few years? And like, oh, well, okay, we feel good, but in the last moment, he's picking Alabama. It didn't happen with Collins. Yeah. So, I mean, again, I think there are some trends that we can look at and say this is a really, really positive thing. I think there are still some places where it needs to improve, and and that's the reality, and that's great, right? I mean, y- you you want to be able to say there's progress, and you want to be able to say that there's hope that there's going to be improvement. Now, Napier's going to have to prove it, right? I mean, Napier's going to have to go out and make that change, but I think I pointed out a couple of weeks ago when I'd written about recruiting that there is now a template for making that sort of jump that wasn't there before. It used to be that this bump class, and look, I don't want to dismiss the bump class and what it means, and I think it's still really critical. And I think we're going to be looking three years from now at this class in particular. And if guys like Kelby Collins and Aiden Mizell and Eugene Wilson haven't haven't turned out, <laughs> then it's still going to look bad for Napier. But I think Texas A&M has sort of given a template to be able to do this. Now, some of it is as NIL came around right in the middle of it, and they were able to take advantage of it for that just otherworldly class that they had last year. But part of it is a lesson that when you're really ready, that your collective and your NIL better be ready to then bring in that top-tier talent. And it might be, and again, I don't want to make excuses, but it might be that 2024 is the place where Florida decides to take that leap. And then... You know, if that's the case, then we will see it, and I expect we'll see it early on. So, you know, I don't think we're going to wait. I hope we're not waiting until August and September next year for guys <laughs> to be pulling the trigger like they did this year. But again, there's there's the NIL aspect of it, there's the relationship aspect of it, and then there's there's just the general wanting to get Napier, wanting to get to know Napier aspect of it, and all of those things sort of confluence of events to get to where we are today. Again, I still think there's value, and I still think there's. I, I think there are ways that you can look at this class and say, I'm concerned about this particular area or this particular area. There needs to be an improvement here and an improvement there. But in terms of just the infrastructure and in terms of what we're seeing compared to the previous regimes, I mean, you think about, you talked about NIL and being slow to adjust. How slow would the previous staff have been to adjust oh my Lord. to NIL and, and the way things escalated really quickly? I mean, there's no doubt that prices for collectives, for recruits have inflated significantly over the last six months. And so what would the previous staff have done? Would they have been able to make adjustments? Would they have been able to make changes intact? I don't have any confidence they would have been able to. Um, And so the reality is I think now we've got confidence that the staff's going to be able to do it. They're just going to have to deliver. Yep, yep. Good good weekend. It was a a fun weekend, Will. It was fun. It was was fun to see Gator Nation come come together one year. But like I said, going back to April, May, and in June, it was a little rough. <laughs> and it even caught Billy Napier by surprise a little bit too, I think. But uh, it's uh, well, he was looking pretty fun. rough in that press conference today. I'm like, that is a guy who's been in the trenches recruiting. <laughs> like he's got the, he's got the scraggly beard. He hasn't shaved in four days. Getting that facility look, ready, fall camp, recruiting. I mean, look, I mean, I mean. It, like he had that look of a guy who's like, like that. That's the look in the sitcom when when the wife has the the husband like sleeping on the couch and like all that sort of stuff. He he looked like he had a rough couple of nights, which is great, right? Yeah. Because if you're bringing in all those recruits and and uh, you know you, this is not a eight hour job, eight hour a day job. 
No. And, and, you know, he knew that coming in. I suspect some of the noise back in April and May. Heck, I'm, I'm, I'm tired. Even more. And, yeah. And I'm tired just covering recruiting. So he's actually doing it. So <laughs> <laughs> I don't know, man. You, you pay me $7 million. I'll make sure I'm not tired. I'll, I'll, I, now I might, I, I'd be a hell of a lot skinnier too. Cause I'd probably be like, Ooh, what do I need to keep myself awake in order to do this sort of stuff? So, um, yeah, th- that's why people burn out on the job real quick, I guess. But uh, uh, no, I mean, look, I, I think the trajectory of the program looks positive. I think the building looks positive. I think you think about the complex they've got. There are now no longer any excuses for something not to deliver, and we're starting to see delivery. Um, obviously, you know, delivery now means championships, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, delivery isn't just bringing the guys in. Delivery is bringing the guys in and converting that into wins on the field. And that's sort of the exciting part, I think. this is It's a really cool time. You know, we knew when Dan Mullen came in that if he turned around Felipe Franks, it was going to be great to see. But Florida wasn't going to have a quarterback that we were talking about winning the Heisman Trophy. Yeah, right. We knew that, right? <laughs> Billy Napier has a guy who, if he plays his top-end football – can push for that. And so, you know, the way this season is going to feel if Florida goes out and just blitzes Utah is, is like, it's, it's going to feel almost like 2012, except that 2012 season didn't really take off until the LSU game where, where Gillisley just ran over the Tigers and you were like, Oh wait, like this team really has a shot at doing something special. Yeah. Cause we Again, didn't, I'm not sure didn't, Florida's going to have that this year. No, I know but, what you mean. Cause we didn't know how Texas A&M was going to be good. At, you know, how good they were going to be at that time. Tennessee was okay. Well, you beat Tennessee again. You're right. It was that LSU game. And don't get me wrong, those A&M and Tennessee games were really fun. Uh, but yeah, you, you knew LSU was, they were, they were coming off of a national championship game appearance from the year before. Yeah, that was, yeah, if you can get me yeah, something well, and, like and that. Nobody, and nobody knew Manziel was any good when he first right. faced that team and, and all that sort of stuff. So, uh, I mean, but again, a really fun year. Like, that's one of those where the, the Georgia game that year, hurt so bad because you knew what you had and you knew you had an opportunity. And then obviously things fall apart after that. But, um, but the, the journey was what made that fun. And the fact that you felt like you were building to something um, and you knew that Muschamp had these recruiting classes that were coming in. Now at the time, maybe we didn't pay enough attention to the fact that none of those recruits played offensive line, but, (laughs) but, but, (laughs) you know, it felt like we were building to something. It felt like we were starting to crescendo again. And so, um, you know, I, Look, things can come out. Florida could thud 0 and 2, and I don't think it's gonna. I don't think it's going to affect the way this recruiting class certainly looks, and I don't think it's probably going to affect what this staff has put in place. But from the standpoint of how do you get fans behind it? How do you make sure that everybody's supporting the collectives? How do you make sure that NIL is set up to be successful in the future? I'm not sure you're gonna be able to do much better than going out and putting a whipping on on the Utes and then on the on the Wildcats. So. Uh, you know, we'll see in a couple of weeks. He's going to get an opportunity to sort of put the put the icing on the cake of 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 all the different um, you know off you know these guys go around they do all the off season off season sort of circuit and they talk and all that sort of stuff. And Napier basically says the same thing every time he talks. Anyway, um, so you know the games are going to give us a new data point, and it's always one of those things where yeah, he says that. Is it actually going to happen? And that's the cool part. Is in a couple of weeks we could see it. Yeah, I mean we're at like kind of a, a middle point right now. The last month and a half. Has been really, really fun and really, really good for the Gators on the recruiting on the recruiting front. What's the next month and a half hold for the Gators? And that can, you know, I mean, it's it's already on fire right now. I mean, it could be could be ignited even even more. Well, I mean, dude, just think about it. Like, when was the last time Florida had an off season we were excited about? Yeah. 
Yep. So Mullen got us excited during the season, Correct. right? You're sitting there watching the football games, and then you go to National Signing Day, and you're like, huh. yeah. <laughs> like, like, <laughs> like I, I know what this means, which means I got to spend another three months arguing about how we don't have the best, how how we've got a talent deficit, and you know, yeah, he's gonna have to outdevelop them and all that sort of stuff, and. I just want to have equivalent talent and say, all right, now who's the better coach? There we go. Now that we're rolling the ball, now now that we're rolling out the ball and Kirby's got to face somebody who's got equivalent talent, what's going on? And we've seen, right, that he was able to get over the Alabama hump last year, but for the most part, when equivalent talent has been on the field, Georgia has been able to get got. And so you sort of got the same um, principles. If Napier can bring in that same level of talent, then Florida's going to have an opportunity to – to at least Napier's going to have an opportunity to prove himself as to whether he's a better coach than Kirby Smart. Um, you know, I think Nate, I think Smart proved himself to be a better college coach than Mullen, but I think a big portion of that was just having better players. And uh, you know, how much of it is equivalent players? I don't know. We'll get to see. So hopefully, Napier gives us an opportunity to see that. All right. Well, what you got? Uh, Your uh, we briefly brushed on it. Uh, this uh, this episode here, but I look back at your, your your you really detailed Anthony Richardson and where he probably could rank in the SEC uh, quarterbacks. So if you haven't read that, everybody go to readandreaction.com and read that. Anything coming up this week? Yeah, so I'm actually going to be writing about recruiting a little bit. I, I've looked at some historical stuff, looked at how often guys end up in the NFL. So there'll be something coming on recruiting. And I've got some stuff in the hopper on Utah. It's going to be coming the next couple of weeks too. So we're getting close to the season. It's time to start talking about football, not just talking about recruiting. So uh, so some football stuff coming up there in the next couple of weeks going to be fun. Yeah, it, that is a change too. We actually get, you know, the, the month of August, we actually get to talk about recruiting and football. You know, usually it's just <laughs> – This is so weird yeah, it's to just be football. Not, it, it's so weird to not be writing about <laughs> schemes and not be writing about uh you know how grantham is terrible for uh you know for for, for, for the for i don't the, have to try uh, and talk myself program. into grantham anymore yeah well you know it's uh hope man hope. buddy Ho- hope right. is a good hope is a good thing though i don't know in, in the last the last i don't know two years really it sort of felt like uh, red in Shawshank Redemption, who's like hope is a dangerous thing, and then you know because you always hope your team's going to go out there and win, and then you beat Georgia, and you're like, oh, maybe we really should have hope, and and then you throw a shoe, and, and that's the end of it. So, um, you know, all I've heard all off season is discipline, so there shouldn't be any shoe tossing, and uh, and hopefully we can all be hopeful again after uh, after September third, because uh, hey, it's it's my seven year old's first game, so hopefully Napier can give him a win. Absolutely, we're all you know counting down to it. As I said, get your breakdown plus members if you if you want a chance to go to the game. I got a pair of tickets given away this Friday. So uh, current members, new members, you'll be eligible to win those. So hopefully we'll see you there. You can come tailgate with us uh, at the Harmonic Woods. We're all. Yeah, I think a lot of people are excited about that part of it too. Will it's our if our first time to get back together. So we're all waiting for it. Just a couple of weeks or a few weeks. Florida, Utah will be here. As Will said, you know, and just. It, if there are, if there is recruiting news, we'll be we'll be uh, recording, of course. But it really, is about time to really turn the page and start concentrating on Utah a little bit with a couple of weeks. Uh, heck, we started this episode off with that just a little bit, so that's how close we are uh, getting to it. We can't wait for it to get here. So, will will anything else, man? No, man. Just appreciate everybody, everybody supporting us. Obviously, you already mentioned the Harmonic Woods tailgate. 
um, during, you know, there in the comments and certainly we're going to be around. So it'd be great to see everybody. So if you get an opportunity, stop by, say hello. Um, you know, I, I know you get noticed out there, but I get noticed every once in a while. It's, it's sort of, I, I told Nick last week, I was like, I'm kind of like, when it comes to this stuff, I'm an artist. So I don't have any self-confidence. So it's great when people come up and talk to me. Um, but no, seriously, like it, it's, it's cool. So if, if you get an opportunity, if you see us on campus, um, you know, take a minute, come over and tell us what you like, what you don't like about the podcast. And we'll, uh, <laughs> and we, we enjoy the feedback and certainly appreciate all the support everybody gives us. Absolutely. Yeah. One, one more thing. The Gator Collective is hosting an event the Friday night before as well. Uh, some former football players, some current student athletes, not current football players, of course. You don't want them out partying with us the night before you play Utah. Uh, so, uh, but uh, we'll be the Gator Collective hosting an event there at the baseball field. Uh, so um, be sure it's on Twitter, all that stuff. I'll make sure the links are all good to go. But, uh, Everybody, the event happening there uh, with the Gator Collective the Friday night before Utah. So, all right, that'll do it for this episode of Gators Breakdown. I am your host, David Waters. You can find me on Twitter at GatorDave underscore SEC. For Will, guys and girls out there, thank you for listening to this episode of Gators Breakdown. Gators Breakdown.